You are listening to ReachMD XM233, the channel for medical professionals. What medication has offered symptom relief for close to 4,000 years and is illegal in most states today? Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I'm Susan Dolan, your host, and joining me today is Dr. Bruce Doblin, an internist from Chicago, Illinois, and Vice President of Ideal Reform, an organization working towards legislation that would allow patients access to cannabis for medical purposes. Dr. Doblin, welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. Thank you, Susan. What is medical cannabis? Medical marijuana, or, or the term I prefer, medical cannabis, really refers to the use of marijuana to treat specific medical conditions. It's not an effort to decriminalize marijuana use, and people need to really understand that. What we really want to do is we want to change the use or the scheduled use of marijuana from Schedule 1 to Schedule 2, which is as restrictive as morphine or other opiates. Explain the difference between Schedule 1 and 2. Schedule 2 allows a physician with special permission to write a prescription for a medication. So as a hospice physician, I can write a prescription for morphine or roxanol or fentanyl or duragesic. That doesn't come with my state medical license. Schedule 1 prohibits all use of drugs for, by physicians for patients. So language matters. Language is really, it's really crucial, I think. And I don't mean to make this a public relations campaign, but I think that you know, the language of the drug war is really there to create a lot of fear and suspicion. And what we're trying to do is we're a very conservative bunch of people, actually. We're not looking to open up the floodgates. What we're looking to do is open up access to patients that are suffering in very controlled ways. And when you look at what states are doing all over the country, it's within very strict parameters that they're opening up the opportunity for patients who have really tried everything else and haven't gotten any benefit to get the benefits of uh, medical cannabis. What is the history of cannabis's use as a medication? We have recorded use of medical marijuana, medical cannabis for over 4,000 years. And the oldest known medical textbook written in China around 2800 BC. And it was used for hundreds of things, rheumatism, menstrual fatigue, malaria. It was brought to the Western European nations in the 17th and 18th centuries when trade with India and China started. And by the 19th century, there were hundreds of different uses within uh, Western Europe and even in the United States. It was used for asthma and digestion, depression, insomnia. I heard that Queen Victoria actually was given marijuana for menstrual discomfort. How does medical cannabis work? It's really very interesting. There are dozens and probably hundreds of active components in the uh, cannabis plan. And we're just beginning to learn what they all are. And I think when you look at the wide range of patient conditions that are treated with medical cannabis, AIDS wasting, Parkinson's disease, muscular sclerosis, glaucoma, anorexia, nausea, what we are starting to really understand is that it works in many different ways throughout the body, that we're finding receptors all over the body who can respond to cannabinoids, the active component. Why is the type of patient who can benefit from medical cannabis so varied? Well, I think that's exactly it. What we're finding is really fascinating. And what we have learned actually in the last 10 years is that we have receptors all over our bodies that respond to the different active molecules in the cannabis plant. What we're seeing actually is that our bodies amazingly produce kind of native cannabinoids. So what we learned with the use of pain medications and opium and, or, and morphine is we have endorphins we produce ourselves. Well, the same thing is really true for the cannabinoids. We have our own system, which is called the endocannabinoid system, and it holds an amazing promise for a wide array of medical conditions. 
um, from mood to anxiety disorders to some of the movement disorders that I suggested, even strokes, cancer, coronary artery disease, hypertension, glaucoma, obesity, osteoporosis. If we were to really be allowed to do the research that we're calling for, you know, the potential is unlimited. Are there ailments that only cannabis can effectively treat? I don't know if there's something that can only be treated with cannabis, but what you hear time and time again, and, you know, I've I've myself talked to dozens and dozens of patients, but patients all over the country are reporting that for their medical conditions, they've tried everything that there is, and they're just not getting the relief. You know, and as a physician, I... I'm, you know, profoundly disturbed by that and feel that as the medical profession, we probably, not probably, we really need to do more. Do you have any stories of patients who have successfully used it? I know people that haven't been able to really walk without the use of medical marijuana because of pain and disability from conditions. In the early 90s, it was a wonder drug for AIDS patients treating AIDS-wasting disorder because it's in the appetite stimulant. So we probably all know people who are using cannabis and not letting us know because they're terrified of the stigma or could benefit from using it. I had a patient I saw last week who could probably benefit from it. She's got terrible, terrible spinal stenosis. What do you tell these patients? You know, I really feel like I'm in a bind. When a patient like that looks you in the eye and says, there must be something else, it's hard for me to say, no, there isn't when I know that there is, but I don't want to encourage this woman who's in her 70s living with her grandson to break the law. So I don't know what you're supposed to do in that case. And I, you know, I really struggle with that myself. What did I do in that case? I let her know that there were some reports that marijuana was helpful, but that it really wasn't legal at this point. And so I couldn't encourage her to use it. If she went out and got some, I don't know, she might have. If you're just joining us, you're listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM233, the channel for medical professionals. I'm Susan Dolan, your host, and joining me today is Dr. Bruce Doblin discussing medical cannabis. Dr. Doblin, is there a pill that can provide the same benefits? You know, there is a pill. It's called Marinol. And what they did is they took THC, which is one of the dozens of active components in the, in the cannabis plant. You know, unfortunately, it has only been shown to be effective for really appetite stimulation. And it really isn't effective for the dozens of other conditions we know can be successfully treated with medical cannabis. And the problem with THC is it's actually the medication that's mostly psychoactive. So patients say they feel disoriented. They, you know, it's the equivalent of getting a high, but they don't with medical marinol. But what we know is that it's just not as effective as the inhaled plant. And it, and it probably is very clear why that's true. Part of it is that the liver metabolizes a lot of the active component. And the other thing is we understand that when it's inhaled, it crosses the blood-brain barrier. That's probably why it's helpful in patients with glycoma, treating their ocular pressure. That's probably why it's really effective for certain kinds of pain, certain movement disorders, and the nausea related to chemotherapy. So what we're doing is offering, I think, a false hope to people that they're getting the benefit of medical cannabis. Is the pill legal? Yeah, sure. It's absolutely legal. I had a patient walk into my office last week who's been treated with metastatic colon cancer, and her oncologist actually just prescribed it for her. Any physician with a license for controlled substances can write a prescription for Marinol, and I think that it's probably widely used. I don't know the specifics, but what we're really doing is kidding ourselves, I think, and masking what could be a, a much more profound, profoundly effective medication if we could figure out 
you know, ways of dealing with some of the legal issues. Is it true that large pharmaceutical companies used to market cannabis-based medications? You know, when I started learning about this issue, I was just fascinated that marijuana was active in hundreds of different preparations sold in this country in the early part of the 20th century. And all of the major pharmaceutical companies, Merck, like Burroughs Welcome, Bristol-Myers Squibb, Park Davis, Eli Lilly, all of them manufactured cannabis-based treatments. But in the early 1920s, when the federal government tried to to really scare people off with movies like Reefer Madness and, and the rest of that, use was severely restricted. And and the, most of those pharmaceutical companies just backed away. Why is this such an emotional drug? You know, I think it really gets caught up in the war on drugs. And there are fears that if you start opening up legal access to patients, that there'll be widespread use on every corner. And what's really interesting is we've we haven't seen that anywhere. There are 12 states now that have laws allowing the, the medical use of cannabis. And in the ones that have studied it most adequately, use among teenagers has actually gone down in states after passing medical cannabis laws. So, you know, what I make of that is that teenage use is really independent of medical cannabis use. What are the dangers of smoking medical cannabis? Well, you know, we are concerned about damage to the lung. And we do know that people who've used medical cannabis over long periods of time do have reduced lung function. But we don't have any evidence that smoking cannabis leads to lung cancer. You know, and that's why a good deal of the effort, which is unfortunately going on outside of this country because of our federal government, is looking at ways of reducing that. So vaporization, smoking it through water is one thing we're looking that might clean out some of the toxics. The other thing that's interesting is that the British government actually encouraged their pharmaceutical industry to look at cannabis-related products. And they isolated over 300 varieties of cannabis and found the genes that actually control their production. And last year, they started to market a medication called Sativex, which is an extract of cannabis, and you spray it under your tongue, and it's extremely effective at treating pain. So if the dangers of smoking are your concern, there are uh, research studies going on all over the world to really address that issue. Does a legal vaporizer form exist? No, it really doesn't. And part of the reason is that the federal government here in the States, where we do most of this research, hasn't allowed research to go forward. And describe the research overseas. Well, Canada has a medical cannabis law. And one of the things that every country that's starting to address this is doing, and ironically, almost every state in the United States passes a medical cannabis law. And part of that law creates an institute to do research, to look at safe and effective use. And so research is going on in Britain. It's going on in Canada. It's really going on around the world. And, you know, I don't mean to sound too radical, but we've really lost the race regarding stem cell research in this country because of our federal government. And we're losing the ability to really harness our pharmaceutical industry here in the United States to look at the dozens and dozens of profound possibilities for using this medication. What is ideal reform doing in this regard? Well, ideal reform is just an effort here in the state of Illinois to pass a medical marijuana bill. And so we're doing a number of different things. We're trying to find patients that are using marijuana and create an effort for them to communicate with each other and gain support. We're trying to work with legislators around the state who will support a bill that's been considered for the last several years down in our capital, Springfield. And how can listeners learn more? Years ago, in order to deflect some of the criticism, the White House asked the Institute of Medicine to study the potential therapeutic value of cannabinoids. And what their own request generated was 
probably the most comprehensive review ever done. It's a 1999 Institute of Medicine report, which is a great place to start. But what they found was that these medications are particularly effective for pain and control of nausea, vomiting, and appetite stimulation. But what's also really interesting about that report is they made it really clear that these drugs are only going to become available if public investment in research is sustained and there's enough private enterprise to develop and market these drugs. And, you know, I think that's what we're all hoping for. But I think if a physician wanted to certainly contact Ideal Reform, we have a website or me, look at the Institute of Medicine report, or really, if you, you know, Google medical cannabis these days, you'll find a number of statewide and national organizations that are working to address this issue. Dr. Doblin, thank you for joining us today. Thank you very much. I'm Susan Dolan, and you've been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM233, the channel for medical professionals. For comments and questions, send your email to xm at reachmd.com. Thank you for listening.